Well, guys, as you know, we started a series a couple weeks ago on the Holy Spirit. We've titled this series, Unseen Power. And kind of what we're looking at here is to see the Holy Spirit's involvement in our lives of faith. And we're going to find out as we keep going through this that without the Holy Spirit in our life, it is impossible to live out lives of faith. And He is an absolutely crucial part. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing some foundational work, kind of laying the, the groundwork to move into the, the big stuff that we're going to talk in upcoming weeks. But last week, we spent some time looking at how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament, because there was a, a pretty vast difference as to how He worked in the Old Testament to as we're going to see how He works in the New Testament time, in our time right now. And I'm just going to kind of quiz you to see if you remember what we talked about last week. But to start out with, when the Holy Spirit would fill people back in the Old Testament, did He come down on the whole nation of Israel, or was it only certain individuals? Certain individuals. Exactly. He would come down on certain individuals like kings and leaders and judges and, and, and you know, kind of the, the people who would oversee the nation. Now, let me ask you this. When He would come down upon these people and fill these people, would He stay forever? No, sometimes he would actually remove himself depending on what's going on. Maybe it was just for a certain time period to help that person do what he's going to do or that person you know, sinned and he removed himself from that, but each story was different. Well, then we came to the point where we looked at a prophecy in the book of Joel where God promised Joel, he says, Joel, one day I am going to pour out my Spirit on all men. All men, young men and old men, men and women, even on my servants, men and women servants, I will pour out my Spirit on those who believe me, those who follow me, I will pour out my spirits on everybody. And guys, that had to have been a shocker for the nation of Israel. That had to have been like, whoa, that's going to be an amazing day when that happens. When the Spirit of God comes on all of us, that is just going to be awesome. Well, hundreds of years went by, Jesus shows up on the scene, and suddenly Jesus begins to refer to that. He begins to kind of allude that the Spirit is coming. The Spirit's going to be poured out. The Spirit is going to be, you know, uh, come upon you. And he, he's using different phrases like that. In fact, he even tells the disciples at one time, he goes, I am going to go away. And it's actually good that I go away, because when I go away, I'll send the Spirit upon you essentially saying that it's best that I'm not with you so that the Spirit can be poured out on you. It's better to have the Spirit of God you know, in you than Jesus right beside you. That's what he was saying. So this, this is where we're at right now. And, and Jesus is, is you know, kind of telling his disciples, promising that this day has come. So this is where we're going to be picking up today. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And to kind of set up for the story, Jesus had been crucified. Okay, He was crucified. Um, he was put to death. He was put into a tomb, buried. And three days later, he rose to life. He, be, he, he was resurrected. And during the next 40 days, he met with his disciples and he taught them things of the kingdom and things that he's doing and all that. And we're, that's where we're at right now in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It goes on one occasion... While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is basically telling his disciples, he says, Listen, I want you to stay in Jerusalem 
until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't want you guys to leave here until this gift that my Heavenly Father is going to send comes. In just a few days, you are going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed with the Holy Spirit of God. So wait for it. Don't do anything until it comes, until He comes. Now, imagine what's going on in these disciples' minds. I mean, this had to have been absolutely huge for them. They've just been through a whirlwind of activities. They, they literally saw Jesus be put to death, brutally murdered on a cross, put into a tomb as a dead body, and three days later, they see him alive. And they're just like, whoa, Jesus, this is crazy. My mind is being blown. And now you're telling me that the Spirit of God is going to be immersed in me, is going to be poured out on me? And they're just like, whoa, I don't even know what that's going to look like. And Jesus goes on to say this. He goes, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to receive power. Now, let me just stop here for a second. Let me ask you this. Let's back up. Why did he tell them to remain in Jerusalem? To wait for what? The Holy Spirit. And why do they need to wait for the Holy Spirit? So that they'll be able to receive power. Power. Now tell me, why is that is so important? Why do we need to have the Spirit of God to get this power? Well, here's the point I want you to take away today. Okay, It's really one main point I want you to get today. The Spirit of God will empower the child of God to do the work of God. It's really that simple. If the child of God is not empowered by the Spirit of God, then he cannot do the work of God. You can't. You need the Spirit of God. And this is important to understand. And Jesus is basically telling his disciples that, listen, you're not going to be able to go out and do what I've asked you to do without the Holy Spirit's power. God's work cannot be done through human means. It needs the supernatural power of God to flow through you. And so you're going to need to remain here until the Holy Spirit fills each of you. And when that happens, you'll have the power necessary to do what I've asked you to do. Now, let me ask you this. What is Jesus asking them to do? Look at the verse. What's the job he's going to be calling his disciples to do? To be witnesses. Exactly. He's asking them to be his witnesses. Now, that word witness is actually a pretty interesting word. I I grew up using that word, uh, and probably many of you did, in, in our Christian circle, it meant something that you did. It was a verb. It meant that you went out and you spread the gospel. You were, I'm going to witness to my neighbors. I'm going to witness to my friends. I'm going to witness to those who don't believe Jesus. And it was a verb that you did. In Bible school, we had witnessing class. And we would go out to Milwaukee and we would witness to people. We'd tell them about Jesus. And, and as I said, witness is used as a verb. But Jesus here isn't using witness as a verb. He's using it as a noun. And, and so we need to know, what does it mean to be a witness? Okay? Well, I think that the word witness has kind of lost its, its primary meaning, what it really used to have. We will tend to use the word witness in, in America. What do we use witnesses for? In a court of law exactly we will we need we'll call the witness and and what does it mean if someone is a witness what have they done 
They've seen the crime, right? They have witnessed the crime. They saw what happened, and so that makes them a viable witness. And, and we've taken that approach here in, this, you know, in our society right now, that when you have seen something, then you must know what has happened. If you've seen it, you know, that you, that you, know, you know exactly what happened. The only problem with that is that multiple witnesses can see the very same thing and come to different conclusions. So, really, the reality is just to see something doesn't mean that you know what's actually happened. Well, the reality is the Old English of the word witness actually has a different meaning. If you look at witness, you break it apart and put witness. The word wit, actually in Old English, means to know. To know something. And ness just kind of denotes a quality or state, like you have darkness, goodness. Well, we have witness. This person knows what he's talking about. Okay? And as a witness, you would know what happened. Not just saw what happened, you would know what's happened. You are, in a sense, a legal record. And in the Greek, it carries that very same meaning. In the Greek, the word witness means record. And, and what I'm trying to get you to see is that the job of the disciples that they were given by Jesus Himself is to be witnesses of Him. Records of Him. And, and for them to do that, they would have to what? Know Him. They would have to know Him. And if you've been at Wystone for any length of time, you'd know that we have a definition for the word know or for the word knowledge. Can anybody help me out with that? What is to know something? It means to have what? An interactive relationship with that something. In other words, and I always use this example, I say, do you guys know your ABCs? Only three of you are confident enough to answer that, but... Yeah, of course, we, we know our ABCs. Well, how, do we, how can we say that we know our ABCs? Because we have an interactive relationship with it. How is that true? Well, we speak, we read, we write, we interact with the ABCs. Therefore, we know our ABCs. If you wanted to go to a doctor and, and have brain surgery, would you just want to go to a doctor who knows about brain surgery? Or would you want to go to a doctor who has an interactive relationship with brain surgery? You'd want to go to the interactive one. You just want someone that has head knowledge. You want them to have an interactive relationship with something. Like, you little Packer fans, you're like, hey, I know Aaron Rodgers. He's awesome. He's like the best QB ever. He's just so, he rocks. I know Aaron. But if you showed up on his porch and knocked on his door, what would Aaron Rodgers do? Say, get out of here, man. I don't know you. You don't have an interactive relationship with him just because you've seen him throw a few balls on TV. Okay. You, to know someone, you must have an interactive relationship with them. Well, Jesus is telling his disciples that they're going to be his witnesses throughout the whole world. Meaning, they're going to be records to the whole world that they know him. They truly know him. And not just knew him, not past tense, know him, present tense. They have a present tense interactive relationship with him right now in this world, in this present tense. And guys, here's the truth. To do that, they would need the Holy Spirit. He would have to empower them to do that. 
to be witnesses. They would need the the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through them to be true witnesses. And and that's what Jesus promises. You're going to receive this power from the Holy Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses. In other words, you're going to show the whole world that you know me, that you have this interactive relationship with me. And you're going to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And guys, this is huge. And I want you to see this. Witness isn't something you do. It's something you are. And to be a true witness of Jesus, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through us. Amen? We just do. You cannot be a true witness of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about that in upcoming weeks, and it's going to make more sense. But to suffice it to say, Jesus is telling His disciples here, listen, don't leave Jerusalem until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you're immersed with the Holy Spirit. Don't leave until He comes because you're going to need Him to do the job of being my witnesses to the world. You're going to need Him. And the Spirit's going to help you do that. All right, does, everybody, does that make sense? Everybody follow me so far? All right, let's see what begins to happen. Let's keep reading in Acts. Verse 9, it says, After He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I wished I would have been there that day. That would have been so awesome. Guys, you need to remain here in Jerusalem because you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. He starts to fly up in the air. And and you know, when I I read these stories, I I picture it in my mind's eye how it's going down, and sometimes I'll Google it and images just to see what other people picture. And this is what other people picture. I don't know. This just freaks me out. I do not picture Jesus going floating like this, or in a sheet around his waist doing this, you know, flying. And I love that when he's just like, oh, you know, flying up there like that. I mean, how do we know he didn't do the whole Iron Man thing where he's like, whoosh, you know, where he's just flying? We don't know. That'd been awesome. Or what, what is, how does Superman take off? Like this thing or like this or whatever. I certainly don't think it was like that. But whatever, um, they're sitting there, and he starts to fly up into the sky. And, and these, these disciples are looking up into the sky, and he eventually gets out of sight in the clouds, and they're watching, they're just standing there. And you know, we really don't know how long this took. We always kind of picture that it was just like a few seconds or a few minutes, and they're just like, okay, can't see him anymore. But it might be a half an hour of staring into the clouds, because I don't think the disciples knew what was going on. I don't know if they're sitting there going, oh, is he going to come back? Is he just kind of cruising up in the clouds to cool off? Is he, you know, what is he doing? I don't know. I, mean, I just saw him raised from the dead. This is all brand new stuff for me. Well, all of a sudden, two angels show up dressed in white, and they come up to them, and, and they say, hey, guys, why are you staring into the sky? And, and, and they say this. They, they say these words, men of Galilee, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into the heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that statement, 
it's kind of a weird question and it's kind of a weird comment. It's like they're saying, hey guys, why are you standing here looking at the sky? This Jesus you saw go up into the sky is going to come back from the sky. And I can imagine if I were to say, I'd go, um, yeah, that's why I'm sitting here staring at the sky. Because I want to see him make his landing. You know, I want to see him come back. But apparently, by what these angels said, the disciples understood that Jesus had finally left. He was gone. Yeah, he's going to come back one day, but not, not right away, not right, right this minute. So they turn around and they head back down the hill. Verse 12, then they return to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. Now, our, our Israel trip, that, the people that went on to Israel this last week, they are back. Did anybody here that went to Israel? Few. Did you go to the Mount of Olives? You did, okay. Now, I remember when I was in Israel and I wanted to go to the Mount of Olives, I thought it'd be so cool to go onto this, you know, hill where Jesus was last touching the ground. So they said, oh yeah, I'll drive you up there. So we drove up there to this Mount of Olives and guess what's on the top of Mount of Olives? Olives? Yeah, that's a pretty good guess on there. No, a hotel. <laughs> Somebody built a hotel there. You can Google it. You can Google this hotel, and in, in the description says, a down-to-earth, family-run property, modest rooms with Wi-Fi. It's like, Mount of Olives? Really? But that's what's there. But anyways, that's where Jesus, they, they, that's where Jesus took off from, and that's where they begin to descend down that hill. And it's a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they all went to Jerusalem to wait, to wait for the Holy Spirit to be given to them. And I have to tell you that this had to have been an exciting time. I mean, what was this going to be like? What was it going to be like to receive the Holy Spirit of God's baptism? For Him to immerse us with, with, with His baptism. I mean, can you imagine these disciples had to have just been like tingling with excitement? This was exciting stuff. Now, I want you to take notice here of what they did while they waited for the Holy Spirit. What were they doing? Praying. Praying what? Constantly. They were praying constantly. They didn't go to Starbucks to look at Facebook you know, on their phone and wait for the Holy Spirit. They didn't go to their hotel room and watch Netflix while they waited for the Holy Spirit. No, they gathered together and prayed constantly waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And then it finally happened. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they're all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So this day of Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Weeks. It was 50 days after the Passover, and the, and the, the Jews would celebrate this. It was kind of a, a harvest of, of a grain harvest. And so they were all gathered to, together for this day of Pentecost to celebrate this Jewish feast. And all of a sudden, this sound of a mighty rushing wind begins to fill the building. It's like... Whoo, 
and they, they hear this, and, and all of a sudden this flame comes down into the room, and it says parts of this flame, you know, went over each person, and it, and it how does it say it? It rested on each of them. And, and all of a sudden, every single one of them in the room were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The third part of the Trinity filled each person in the room. All the disciples, all the followers of Jesus Christ were filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, they began to speak in all sorts of different languages. Languages they didn't know. Languages from all over the world. And they began to speak in these languages. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's kind of weird. And you're right, it, it is kind of weird. But you might be thinking, why in the world would that be the power that the Spirit of God gives them? Why would He have them speak in different languages? Now, we're not going to talk about it right now. We're going to talk about it in a future series. But there is a very important and deep theological meaning as to why the Spirit of God gave them all these different languages. But today, we're just going to simply look at a very simple reason as to why. And we're going to, we're going to talk about it in a sec. Let's, let's read. Maybe you'll pick it up as you go. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopot residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, and Pontus and Asia, and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judea Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So, there are people from all over the world, it says, that happen to be in Jerusalem. Do you think the Holy Spirit knew that? Absolutely. And suddenly, He empowers these disciples to begin to speak in all these different languages. Not their language, but the native languages of these people from all around the world. Perfectly and fluently. And how in the world is that even possible? I mean, these people that came and heard the sound and gathered around, suddenly they're hearing their language being spoken and they're just perplexed and they're like, what is going on? Well, let's see what happens. Verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. People start to make fun of them. They're like, I know what's going on. You've been dipping back a little bit on too much on grandpa's cough medicine. You guys are all drunk. Which makes no sense at all. When is the last time you saw a drunk person speaking fluent French or fluent German or fluent Cappadocian or whatever? Never. They can't even hardly talk English, let alone some fluent language. But this is what these guys are saying. So Peter gets up to address the crowd that's gathered outside, and this is what he says. Look at this. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. And I love his reasoning. It's only nine in the morning. 11 o'clock maybe, but not 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, pay attention here. This is absolutely huge. Look at what Peter says. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out My Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Even on My servants, both men and women, I will pour out My Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Do you remember what we talked about last week? Where God, through the prophet Joel, prophesied, promised that one day, one day, I'm going to pour out My Spirit on all men, men and women, young and old. And whoever believes in Me, I will pour out My Spirit upon them. Even on slaves and servants, I will do it. Well, Peter is connecting the dots. And, and he stands up and he says, guys, what you're seeing right now is the fulfillment of the prophecy made to Joel, which they would have known about. This is the fulfillment that was made to the prophecy made to Joel hundreds of years ago. The day has finally come where what God said he would do, he's finally doing. The Holy Spirit of God is being poured out. These are the last days that the prophet Joel talked about. And he goes on to preach this long sermon without any notes. Now, this is very noteworthy. And this applies to us. We need to pay attention to this. Because Peter, quoting Joel, says that in the last days, God would pour out His Spirit. Tell me, Whitestone, are we still in those last days? Yes, we are. If we're not in the last days, I don't know what you call it, but if they started when Peter's talking about it, we're closer to the last day than he was. But we are in these last days. Now, if Peter said in these last days, and as God promised in these last days, the Spirit of God is being poured out on believers, then tell me, guys, if the Spirit of God poured out on His people in the last days, what's true of us? He's being poured out on us. The Spirit of God is available to us. And we're going to unpack that more in future weeks. What does that even mean? But check this out. Check out what happened on the very first day that the Spirit gets poured out on, on, on God's people. Check this out. Those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized. And about 3,000 were added, added to their number that day. 3,000 people became followers of Jesus Christ that day. 3,000. That's a good day. That's an amazing day. Now tell me, is that humanly possible? Say it with confidence. No, it is not humanly possible. Peter just couldn't get up and preach a sermon and 3,000 people do it unless the Spirit of God was empowering the child of God to do the work of God. And that's the point I want you to see. That all happened through the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit empowered them to be witnesses of Jesus, proving to the people around them that they know Jesus. They have an interactive relationship with Jesus. And how could they tell that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The Spirit made that possible. The Holy Spirit of God will empower the child of God to do the work of God. And guys, that applies to us just as much as it applied to them. And we're going to learn that more and more as we go through this series. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much. I just thank You for, 
for you, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Holy Spirit, I ask that as we begin to look at your work amongst us and in us and through us, that you just might be able to pull back the curtains on things that we don't understand, that you might just be able to kind of sift through all the garbage that we see in our world around us and be able to show us the truth, that most of all, God, that we might become a church that lives and breathes and walks and operates in your power so that we can accomplish your work in this world. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, love you so very much. Uh, if anybody guys would like to be prayed with or prayed for, Mark would love to do that. Otherwise, have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next Sunday.